I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah, out of your law. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Our Torah portion this week is the Torah portion of Vayira, which means I appeared. So if you'll go to Exodus chapter 6, and put your finger there in Exodus chapter 6, we will read verse 10 at some point. But as you guys are turning there, um, I was actually on the phone. I was actually on the phone with Brother Mike this uh, this morning, this afternoon, and we were talking about you know how some of the things that we heard growing up in church, and knowing that these people testifying were sincere. But on the one hand, it's almost they took pleasure in demeaning them, themselves. They almost took pleasure in beating themselves up and making themselves out to be like a piece of crap. Let's just say, say what it is. I think they were, they were sincere, but at the same time, there's a little sense of false humility there. I think we always need to strike a balance. Because on the one hand, we say, oh, I'm not worthy. Well, that's true. But on the other hand, yes, you are worthy, because if you weren't worthy, then Jesus would have never came and died for you. That's right. But you have these people who get up and testify in church and they say, Oh, brother, I'm just so unworthy. I'm nothing but a worm. I'm nothing but a putrid drop. I'm so glad he saved a wretch like me. Using all these descriptors to say how bad you are. Okay, that's enough. We know you're a sinner. Guess what? I'm one too. Guess what? I'm a wretch too. This is the same thing that the world is saying. But they're saying it in more scientific terms. They're saying the human race is nothing but a disease, nothing but a virus that has spread all over the earth and it's destroying the environment and we're ruining things and we need to be less populated and blah, 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 and make us seem like we're not worth anything, that we're just crap, we're just scum. Is there any wonder why the suicide rate is skyrocketing through the roof now? Is it, is it there, you know, is there no surprise that Canada has endorsed euthanasia? Oh, I, I'm terminally ill, so I'm just going to do myself in, or I'm really depressed and I know I can't handle another day, so just give me that little cocktail. If you don't think that you're worthy, and you don't think that you're worth something, yeah, just, just stick a gun muzzle right in your mouth. Yeah, just go ahead and get it over with because what's the point? You see how Satan uses that. So there's that extreme. Now, am I unworthy? Yes, because I am a wretch. I am a putrid drop. I am a worm. I'm a low-down rotten sinner. And so I am unworthy just because I've been born into sin to receive that redemption of God through Christ. But nonetheless, he deemed me worthy because the psalmist says, Oh, Lord, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me in my mother's womb. 
You know, you know, everything about me. You know the hairs of my head. You bottle up my tears. If I was worthless, why would he collect my tears? <clears throat> if I was worthless, why would he keep a registry of an account of how much hair I have and how much hair I don't? And, and the psalmist also says that, <clears throat> you, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? You've made us just a little lower than the angels. Excuse me, I'm going to take a drink here. <clears throat> maybe a breath. In a breath. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you know, some people, some people here have not grown up in the day of, of the hackers, and I'm not talking about computer hackers, but those preachers that preached and they never took a breath, and every time they spoke, they kept praising the Lord, and then this is the way that they preached, and they would read the word like this. Yeah, so that, that that's that's a hacker. So yeah, I may have to take a breath, but not like those hackers there. Well, that's nostalgic. I kind of miss that preaching. So you have to strike that balance. Yes, we're unworthy. But at the same time, even though we're unworthy, God deemed us worthy enough to send his only son to die for to die for us. So this is kind of the thrust of the Torah portion this week. So let's uh, uh, before we go to Exodus, let me read to you. Springboard from the Brit Kharasha, the, the New Testament, the Renewed Covenant. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, the Apostle Paul, Rav Shul, says, I am the least of all the apostles. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paul. What are you saying? Haven't you read, you know, Luke's document documentary on your life, the book of Acts? Haven't you read your own letters? Oh my gosh, you went on these missionary journeys, you were stoned, you were shipwrecked, you were, you were beat, you were imprisoned, you know, you went here, you went there, you preached the gospel, and, and all this kind of stuff. But he says, I am the least of all the apostles. And most of us here today would say he was the super apostle. He says, no, 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 I am the least of all the apostles. And I don't think he was being falsely, uh, had false humility here. And he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. He didn't even like to be called that term. He would defend that term and says, yes, I'm an apostle only because God deems me so. But it's not like, you know, he says, I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the congregation of God. I'm a Christ killer. I may have not been there with the Roman soldier to nail Christ on the cross, but I nailed Christians to crosses. I stoned Christians, and Christian means little Christ. It means to be Christ-like. So the people that try to emulate the life of Messiah, he says, I killed, I persecuted. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Basically, he's saying, I, I'm the runt of the litter. There's another passage where he says, I'm as if a child born prematurely or born out of season, or, or maybe a better way to put it is I'm a late bloomer. I'm a late bloomer. Yet Rav Shul, the Apostle Paul, was actually overqualified to be an apostle if we measure him against the education and the station of disciples like Peter, James, and John, who were just blue-collar workers. They were just simple fishermen. They, did, they had your basic Hebrew school education from the age of wherever they entered until about 13 years old, and then they got a trade and learned a trade. I mean, uh, lining up them with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul's overqualified. 
He not only went to Hebrew school, he spent the rest of his life in seminary, if you will, in the Pharisaical yeshivas and schools and learned under the famous Gamaliel, who's even mentioned today by rabbis and sages. I mean, he was a Roman citizen, Acts chapter 22, verses 23 through 29. He was not only a Roman citizen, but a citizen of Tarshish, which is a pretty big deal. Acts 21, 39, and 22, 3. He was at one point a rich man. He had a family fortune, Acts chapter 22, verses 22 through 29. You know, he was as Jewish as a Jew could get. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I sat under the famous Gamaliel. We could read about that in Philippians 3, 5, Romans 11, 1, Acts 23, 6, and 24, 5, and Acts 23, 6. He was highly educated, religiously and secularly. Because remember, he could, he could hold his footing and his ground with the best of them at Mars Hill with the philosophers. So he knew about Greek philosophy. He even quoted in one of his letters some Cretan poem or some poem about, about Cretans. So despite all this, the Apostle Paul felt he was unworthy because he used to kill believers. But in reality, the Apostle Paul was unworthy just because he was born a sinner, just like every single one of us. Now let's turn to Exodus chapter 6. Verse 10, Exodus chapter 6, verse 10. So Adonai told Moses, go, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he will let B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, go out of his land. But Moses said to Adonai, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel have not listened to me. So how would Pharaoh listen to me? I, who have uncircumcised lips. Moses had a speech impediment. He said he had uncircumcised lips. Anybody remember Fat Albert? Yes. What, what was the one that the Hebrew, the Bible boys would talk about this? Was that dumb Donald or whatever? Anyway. Yeah, I mean, think of that. Now, there's a legend behind why Moses says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. There's this extra-biblical text that talks about how when Moses was growing up in the palace of Pharaoh, that the sorcerers and the, and the mediums and the magicians and the, and the prophets came to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, there, there's, there's something really going on wild with the stars. The way we're reading them is your days are numbered as a ruler. I mean, on the one hand, it says it's going to be an Egyptian that's going to take over. But on the other hand, it seems like it says that there's going to be a Jew that's going to, a Hebrew that's going to take over. But anyways, there's going to be somebody that's going to, to, to destroy you. And so he kind of got suspicious whenever he held Moses on his lap. And Moses was always reaching in for that gold glittery crown that Pharaoh had on. And, 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 and the you know prophets and the sorcerers were saying, see, this is a bad omen. He's reaching for your crown. Maybe this is the one. Well, well, we'll, we'll do a little test. So they put the crown on one, in, on one side of the table and put a hot burning coal on the other side of the table. Which one would little baby Moses reach for? 
He started reaching for the crown, but the angel of the Lord moved his hand to the coal. And what, when a baby grabs something, what's the first thing they do with it? Put it in their mouth. So, the, you know, according to legend and according to tradition, Moses had a speech impediment because he scarred his lips. He burned his lips on this coal and it forever changed the way he spoke. Not knowing if that's true or not, but I think that's a very interesting tale. So he says, I, you know, I'm not a speaker. I, I, I'm, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And I think it's very interesting that Moses is giving this excuse to why, this is why you can't use me, God. I know you're God. I know that you know everything, but you got it wrong here. You've got the wrong guy. Choose somebody else. I mean, the hubris, the audacity of us telling that to God. But God knew exactly what he was doing, but he says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. And so he says, fine, fine, fine. If it's that big of a deal for you, I mean, who made man's lips anyway? Who made somebody to see and to be able to hear? Isn't it I? If you have a speech problem, I can take care of that. But if you're that concerned, I'll let Aaron be your spokesman. Whatever. I'm not making a mistake here. But you, you have the first couple times where Aaron is speaking. And then Aaron really doesn't say much after that. It's like Moses kind of takes over and finds his, his voice. Giving this excuse to God, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not an order. I have a speech impediment to the book of Deuteronomy, where the De book of Deuteronomy is an entire speech of Moses. You couldn't shut him up by the end of his life. I mean, so God, no, and it's just like those people who do have speech impediments, and then they go on these competitions like, you know, American Idol or America's Got Talent, and yet when they sing, they don't stutter at all. It's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. So Moses, too, was overqualified for the job God called him to, but he, too, felt he was unworthy because he was a stammering murderer. Not only did he have a speech impediment, but he killed somebody. He killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand because this Egyptian was beaten two of his fellow Hebrews. So he felt unqualified, just as Paul felt unqualified because he killed believers. Moses felt unqualified because he killed an Egyptian. On top of that, he wasn't a very good speaker. But he was overqualified because Moses was born a Levite. He was born from a family of natural leaders, from a very prominent family. He was adopted and raised as Egyptian royalty. So he had the education of both worlds. He was educated in the courts of Pharaoh, but yet his mother nursed him until probably maybe five years old, give or take. So he got his Hebrew education there. And the apocryphal accounts says that he didn't go directly to Midian when he escaped Egypt, but he went to Cush. Because if you'll remember, Moses, or, uh, Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, criticized him for marrying a Cushite woman. Well, where this Cushite, because Zipporah is not Cushite, Zipporah was a Midianite. So where's this Cushite woman come in? Well, if you read uh, Jasher in uh, the book of Jasher, uh, I think it is, or the book of Jubilees, one of the two, where he goes off to Cush after he leaves Egypt and he becomes a general in the Cushite army. So he gets a military education, comes back with his Cushite wife. And then he learns about how to lead people by being a shepherd under Pharaoh, his, or uh, under Jethro, his father-in-law. So Moses was overqualified. But yet you have both Paul and Moses both saying, we're unworthy. We're unworthy. I don't know how you can use us, God. We're so flawed. 
Now, the Pirkei Avot, which translates to Ethics of the Fathers, it's a part of the Talmud. And in Pirkei Avot 2.6, the rabbis say, in a place where there are no leaders, strive to be a leader. Strive to be a leader. I know that a lot of you guys look to me as a leader. A lot of you guys look to Aaron as a leader. But there's not enough leaders. Usually, you're in a situation where there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Where there's too many cooks that spoil the broth. But in our day and age, we need more leaders. You don't have to have a Bible college education or a degree to be a leader. You don't have to have some special gift or talent to be a leader. Your life experience itself is leadership quality enough. Your walk with the Lord is quality enough. And maybe, yeah, maybe not a leader like a pastor or a rabbi or whatever, but you need to stand up and be a leader. We all need to be leaders. Didn't, didn't God say to Israel, you are a nation of priests? Okay, well, if we're all priests, who are the congregants? You know, God wants all of us to be his priests. We need leadership. Even if he hasn't called you to teach or preach or pastor, you're still called at least to, number one, fear God and keep his commandments, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Notice he says go. We in this Western world have made the excuse like, you know what, we, we, we don't have to go out and witness. No, 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 we don't have to go out. All we have to do is make church comfortable enough for people to come in. And let's bring them in and let's draw them in. That's not what the Lord commanded us. He said go and then bring them in. We got our priorities messed up. You're called to be an evangelist. There's no bench warmers in the body of Messiah. You know, I mean, no bench warmers in the body of Messiah. Nobody's sitting on the bench cheering on their fellow players. Everybody gets playtime in the field. Like Moses, the Apostle Paul, you may feel you're unworthy. Join the club. We all are. I want to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll begin with verse 27. Yet God has chosen the foolish things of the world so that he may put to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world so that he might shame the strong. And God chose the lowly and despised things of the world, the things that are as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast before God. But because of him, you are in Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God in righteousness and holiness and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in Adonai. 
I love this passage. Yet God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I always pick on Mike because he's my friend. I'm allowed to do that. He can equally pick on me. But Mike's a fool. He'll even admit it. He says, I'm a nut, and when I got saved, I'm still a nut. I'm just a saved nut. And, I, and you, you say the word Mike Chase out in the community, and either people just laugh or they'll roll their eyes, one of the two. Everybody knows who Mike Chase is. But yet, I've seen him in action where people are thinking, you're just an idiot. You're just stupid. And he'll say something that will shut people up. People that think, oh, you know, I've got one over on you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more educated than you. And he'll say something that they'll be like, and they'll just be quiet. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, it's usually those people that are dying of leukemia or cancer that inspire us because of their strength. I mean, they're weak as a kitten. But their inner fortitude, there's a strength there that we can't even scratch. We can't even reach or touch. And it says he uses the lowly and despised things of the world. Things that are as nothing. I mean, Mike can tell this story better than I can. But I'll never forget when Mike told me, he says, You know how God taught me what holiness means? He said, the definition of holiness is when I was working at the mission in New York. And there is this guy, he's got a gimpy arm, and he lives at the shelter. And he's always puffing on, dragging on a cigarette. And most people would look at him and just say, he's nobody. He's nothing. He's just the scum of the earth. He's a low, low life. He's a moocher. He's poor. He ain't got nothing. But yet, Mike told me that he was puffing on the cigarette, and as he was telling his story, the, the ashes on the cigarette got long, and he began crying and was just talking about how great God is and how, how loving God is and the love of the Lord and the love of Jesus Christ and, and just how in love with, with God and with Jesus this man was. And right there the Lord spoke to Mike and says, that is holiness. Somebody that you would see on the street and would just think, oh, he's probably mentally ill. He's probably stupid. He's probably an imbecile. And yet God uses the lowly. Things that people say are nothing. God uses the underdog. We're all underdogs here. We're all underdogs here. None of us have money. None of us have clout in this community. None of us have reputation or, or, or titles or, or stations of power. We may think, well, I'm unworthy. Yeah, go ahead and keep saying that, but you're worthy enough for God to send his son to die for you. You're worthy enough to say that, that for God to say there's no bench warmers on my team. You're important enough. You have a gift. You have a talent. You have a calling. You can reach people that I can't and vice versa. We're all in this ministry together. I may be the pastor. I may be the rabbi, but you guys are just as vital, just as important because you're the face of this congregation. Because you know what happens to me whenever I get called to do a funeral or to do a wedding or to do some sort of commencement prayer or whatever? Everybody's paying attention and listening, have the listening ears while I'm up there on stage. 
But afterwards, I'm the guy in the corner holding the can of pop, and everybody's staying away from me like the plague. Like they're like like they're terrified of the preacher. Like, what am I going to do? Eat him alive or something? What am I going to do? Just start prophesying and say, "Oh, thou sinner," and just expose them? Or I don't know. But they stay away from me. But if you guys were at those events or something like that, they would talk to you. I try to strike up a conversation and people scatter like roaches. I mean, it's a, so you guys, more than me, you guys are more of the ministers than I am in this community. I also want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, just a simple verse. For Messiah's sake, or for Christ's sake, then I delight in my weakness and insults and in distresses and in persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, I don't know why I'm going through this trouble and this trial and this tribulation. And guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm not making fun of anybody, but I'm speaking to myself because I'm going through something right now. And I'm thinking, Lord, how or am I going to get through this? But maybe the Lord is allowing things to happen to me to grab my attention, to bring me back to the basics. Maybe the Lord is wanting to reveal his strength in my inadequacies and in my weaknesses. So if you have a trouble or a trial or a tribulation or a weakness or a flaw, God wants to exploit that for the good. Because when somebody that's unexpected just comes out of nowhere and does something great, Nobody can get the credit for that except God. And God wants to get the credit. He wants to glorify himself through you and even through our afflictions. For all things work together. And I feel like such a friggin' hypocrite for even quoting this verse right now. But all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Philippians 4.13. I can do a few things. Through Christ. Everything. What? Everything. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not my strength because if it was just me, I would give up just at the drop of a hat. I don't like confrontation. I don't like conflict. I don't like battle. I don't like struggle. None of us do. I try to stay away from painful things. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So you may feel you are unqualified, but you are overqualified to reach the demographic God has placed you to minister to. You know, like, I don't know the first thing about football or hockey or virtually any other sport except maybe MMA. You know, so I can't reach a jock. I can't reach a sports head. I can't reach a motorhead because I don't know the first thing about fixing a car. You know, but... I can reach geeks and nerds who love comic books and cartoons. Batman. Yeah, Batman. That's He's my guy. So we all have likes, dislikes, gifts, and talents and are drawn to certain things so we could reach those people. Now, when I was in school, I was into Christian rock music and Christian heavy metal music. I was a Christian headbanger. That's who I reached out to was that people that were into the satanic and secular heavy metal and all that kind of stuff. I would, me and my friends would take them to Christian concerts. We would pass out Christian cassettes. They weren't CDs back then. We'd hand out Christian cassettes, hand out Bibles. 
and we ministered. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do our best to reach everyone at any time because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 starting with verse 19 For though I am free from all men I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win over more of them to the Jewish people I identified as Jew so that I might win over the Jewish people to those under the, under Torah I became like one under Torah Though not myself being under Torah, in other words, being under the penalty of the law, under the penal, death penalty of Torah, so that I might win those that are under that death penalty, under the Torah, to those that are outside the Torah, in other words, those that aren't Jew or Hebrew, but Gentile, like one outside the Torah, though not being outside God's Torah, but in Messiah's Torah. In other words, I reached the Gentiles, the lawless ones, without compromising God's law itself. So that I might win over those outside the Torah. To the weak, I became weak. So that I might win over the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I do it for the sake of the good news. So that I might be a fellow partaker of it. We've got a, a specific demographic that we could reach out to. People that we are geared to reach out to. But we're... To the best of our ability to reach out to everybody that we possibly can in 2nd Timothy 4 2 proclaim the word be ready when it is convenient or inconvenient confront rebuke encourage with complete patience and instruction so always be ready. Do you have to do you, do you have to have the word of God memorized in order to do that? No, the Holy Spirit. The whole if you yeah, if you don't if you don't have it memorized, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. All you need is your own life story. All you need is your testimony of what the Lord has done for you and how the Lord saved you, what the Lord delivered you from, and people will listen. That's all you need to be an evangelist. That's all you need to be a witness. And whatever you lack, the Holy Spirit's going to, going to kind of give the increase. So you are loved. You are special. You are worthy. You are significant. You are important. And I'm telling you, when one of you aren't here, it's not the same. You know, I miss, I miss those that can't be here for whatever reason. I'm glad for the ones that are here. But it shows you how much of a family that we're becoming. Amen. Because we love each other, we depend on each other, we miss each other when we're not when each other's not around. We've got to see this society for the last decade or so, it is it is indoctrinated us and instructed us on how to stay away from each other. On how to be individuals. When used to, we used to be such a tight knit community. What what usually happened on, on Sunday afternoons? You go visiting at somebody else's house. Sit on the porch and sip some tea or, you know, whatever. And go back to church that night or what have you. We've gone far away from that where it's like, oh, well, nobody wants to do that anymore. Nobody wants to be bothered. And we've become individuals. But you know what? How many people are suffering alone at home because of lack of fellowship and they wish they had somebody that would knock on their door? 
we need to be more involved in each other's lives. And when we get more involved in each other's lives, I think that's going to help kickstart us being involved with the lives of the people in this community that we're trying to reach. Let's, uh, let's pray. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divide asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word, she is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just reveal to each and every one of us how loved we are, how special, how important, how overqualified we are to serve you. Many of us may have grown up with parents who said, I wish you were never born. You're a screw up. You can't do anything right. You're never going to amount to nothing. You're always pushed aside and you, and the, and you felt like you weren't wanted. That's the devil at work, sowing those seeds of lack of self-esteem, that we're nothing, that we're nobody. We go through the educational system of this world, and evolution tells us we're just slime that evolved, that just happened to evolve into something, and our lives are meaningless, and after we die, there's nothing. Then what's the point? But Lord, your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you love us, that you knit us in our mother's womb that you cared enough for us to bottle our tears, to count the hairs on our head, and to send your son, Yeshua, to die on the cross to save us from our sins. We are loved, and help us to understand how loved we are, how important we are. We talk about how we're the body of Christ. Do we really believe that if we weren't a part of the body of Christ, that it would hurt this body, this local body here? If any one of us would leave, it would be like chopping off an arm or chopping off a leg. Every single person sitting here is important. Help us to understand and realize that. And that the more powerful evangelist in this scenario is not me, not the rabbi, not the pastor. It's those sitting in the congregation right now. They're a more powerful force, a more important force, a more vital force. If it wasn't for the congregation, there would be no congregation. I would not be a rabbi. I would not be a pastor. These people are more important than I. And they could do more in this community than I. So, Lord, bless them, strengthen them, and equip them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Bashem Yeshua Moshinu, for it is in the name of Messiah Yeshua we pray. Amen. Amen.